0: From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. This podcast is sponsored by Sage Accounting. Sage gives entrepreneurs and small businesses the information, insights, and tools they need to succeed. Sign up for a 30-day trial to start using Sage accounting in your business using the offer code of Sage March.
1: My name is Matt Kluis. I'm co-founder and CFO at Comparisher Financial Services. Yes, that's the current name of the company. We are going through a bit of a rebound and relaunch. I am from Cape Town, the so Cape Town boy through and through, did my schooling here, varsity and now I live and work in this beautiful city of ours.
0: That's amazing. What was the thing that was really a catalyst that inspired you to start this business and like um, go on this journey?
1: I think as many individuals you have this dream of, you know, one day it would be fun to start my own thing, one day it would be cool to explore what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. and. But for most of us it takes time, you know, you've got to go through the journey, you've got to typically try and get your first job before you really feel comfortable and ready to start a business. Mm. I think there's a misconception that founders are all 18-year-old school dropouts, but yeah. most are not. They're experienced individuals with some capital behind them, with a network, with an understanding of the business and landscape and problems out there. So for me, I took, you know, worked for quite a while in corporate but then the ultimate catalyst was I had just worked on an IPO of a company in the U.K., Go Compare, a comparison mm. website, and a very good friend of mine, our founder, Jonathan Alcock, he had just sort of quit his job mm. and was looking to do the same thing. So build, build a comparison site here and, you know, make it easier to access financial services products. I said to him at the time I was in London, that's a brilliant idea. I'd love to be part of the journey. Mm. I've just started a new job here. But let's stay in touch, you know, let me, let me let me be a sounding board, let me give you, you know, my thoughts having been through the, the comparison site journey in the UK. And we knew each other from before, good friends, and eventually one thing led to the next. And you know, startup is about taking risks. Mm. And for me, at that point in my career, I thought, you know, the chance of moving back to South Africa, being involved in an industry that I know, insurance and to work on meaningful technology you know it's it's an opportunity i can't pass up i have to take this risk yeah. so that was in sort of early 2018 i quit my job in the uk and moved back to cape town to to really give it a go at the at building a company
0: that's incredible i think like you know there's this massive narrative and i want to go back into you know how you guys built this and um, all of that but there's a massive narrative around leaving south africa and finding more opportunities in other countries This might be the first interaction I've had with a founder that said, oh, no, I left, you know, London, you know, and the IPO and, you know, the journey that you Mm -hmm. had there to come back here and build Mm something. What do you think, you know, informed that kind of decision?
1: I think many South Africans are very, you know, passionate about our country and Mm. the opportunity, but there are challenges that go with that. I was sitting in London, you know, working in a prestigious job at a at a you know big bulge bracket bank, uh, you know, working on exciting deals. But, you know, you, you're just a cog in the wheel, and there's many mm-hmm. people like you, and everyone's sort of just in the rat race and trying to get promoted and go up the corporate ladder. But for me, there was a genuine calling to come and try and do something meaningful, you know, jokes aside. But when I was there, you know, you change people. It's like, what? Oh, they've got a business idea, this guy. And he's trying to start. What is it? It's to order your coffee on the go and (laughs) get your coffee to arrive 10 minutes earlier or there, you know, which in London, that's great. You know, people value that. And you obviously, it's a busy hustling city. Mm. But that was almost a moment where I thought, no way. I'm not staying here to maybe if I do start a business, but it's what to help people, so many of the problems have been solved in Europe. Okay? Yeah. There are a lot of Basic needs have been met. Most people have a good quality of life. Okay? They're going through some of their own troubles now. But eventually it was just that, that opportunity to come back in the country that I love and do something to really try and make a difference. And, and those challenges lead to opportunities, which I'm sure is a theme that's come up many times before. That's such a powerful mindset to have.
0: I really appreciate that. Um, so what was the problem that you guys found that you really wanted to solve with what you were building?
1: So I'll go back to the beginning. So I mentioned the comparison website in South Africa. We have a unique insurance landscape that most South Africans are very aware of funeral cover. It's a product that most South Africans can buy, you know, and have access to. But in terms of value for money, in terms of actual life cover, you know, funeral cover, serves an important need to ensure a dignified funeral and send-off for your loved ones. But then what? You know, What about mm. the, the education of your kids or the long-term you know, needs of the family that's being left behind? So our original uh, goal and problem was to make it easier to access products and compare. Mm. So I know you've had a few, uh, a few great um, colleagues on the show before, the guys that are doing amazing work like Naked and Pineapple. and yeah. Those are the products we need. And still, as a consumer, it's hard to compare. You know, It's hard to get quotes, it's hard to understand problems. So we set out to use tech to make that easier and be properly independent. So Hippo is an example that everyone knows, hippo.coza, where you can compare. Yeah. Most of the brands there are part of the same group, Telesure. They have a few independent brands now, so that's a great move. But at the time, we were the only truly independent life comparison platform. You could get a quote in minutes, which would otherwise take days. You know, We, we used to ask people that, to guess the price of insurance, and people always overestimated the cost Mm. You know, they thought it was up to five, ten times more expensive, you know, for a million round cover, for example. So that was really the need we were trying to solve.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned, I have been speaking to a lot of people in the insurance space, and a lot of them are talking about access and talking Mm -hmm. about just um, really removing a lot of the complexity and removing a lot of the opaqueness of the the space itself. Um, How have you guys tried to make sure that people really understand that, you know, This is a platform that really can help them understand what they're actually getting, in terms of value for money, but also just, you know, what you're actually getting from the the products that you buy. Mm.
1: It's a great question, and I'll build on my initial answer. But we had a hybrid approach, so we had a tech, you know, obviously a tech element, a website that was easy to compare, tried to simplify, demystify, make it intuitive and easy. But at the same time we included humans in the process. So you could get a quote online, get, you know, a first comparison, but then a human agent would jump on and assist you in the process. So it was sort of the best of both worlds. We but at the time we weren't you know, we were still an intermediary. We were selling products for an old mutual or a sunlum, you know, one of the big groups. And we we had some good early traction. But along the way, we realized, you know, okay, comparing life insurance, underwritten life cover, that's one element. But a lot of customers who came through the, the door, the digital door, you know, a lead looking for a product, they, you know, underwritten life cover where you had to get to see a doctor and a nurse and do all that was not the right product mm. um, for them. And so we launched a funeral product offering as well. But this was sort of four or five years ago. And we took a bet that people would prefer to do it via chat. So via a chatbot in an automated, easy, intuitive way. And so we built our first chatbot almost five years ago now, and that was an absolute runaway success. So 95% of the people who were buying online with us were buying online for the first time ever. Mm. You know, people talk about digital financial inclusion, which is critical in this country. But before that, to drive, you need digital inclusion. How, Mm. How do you get guys online and transacting and... And for the longest time, the insurance market has been trying to get the mass market to buy online, to buy on a website, mm. which was the only channel. But no one does. You know, that mass market, people aren't browsing websites on their desktop. They're all on mobile. And at the same time, they're very used to chat. Everyone's on WhatsApp. It's so intuitive. Mm. My grandmother's on WhatsApp. And we took this bet that you know an, an algorithm via a chat could sell the product online and that's been a massive breakthrough for us and and we're actually expanding at the moment into a broader sort of tech play as a business where you know we built that chat tech for ourselves to serve our own needs but then we realized wow we could white label this product we could mm. get it out there much the same as Amazon and AWS you know they built AWS as a cloud computing platform to run their e-commerce and then they realized wow you know we can white label this and get it out there yeah so that's the pivot we're going through at the moment sort of into this sort of chatbot driven uh, platform.
0: That's crazy because, you know, there's a lot of businesses and examples of this where, you know, a a company or software company was trying to build something and it might not have been working the way that they wanted it to and Mm -hmm. they find something that they built to support that thing, to be able to actually start to overtake even the main business itself. Um, How do you start to balance those two opportunities, especially when you had a very clear problem that you wanted Mm -hmm. to solve with the comparisons, but now you have this massive opportunity with the chat, and maybe you can also go into just how the chat works as well.
1: Sure. I think the one element was just strongly performance and financial. We launched the comparison website. We had good early traction, but there were a few challenges to scaling that we were hitting, and... Meanwhile, the sort of chatbot side was taking off. And in that sense, it was a very easy decision to sort of focus more on the chatbot technology. Mm -hmm. The struggle we had sort of four or five years ago um, was around chat. A lot of people had had poor initial sort of experiences. Siri and whatnot had launched sort of 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was... In many people's minds, a bit of a non-event. What do you do? You set alarm clocks and then, <laughs> and then that's that. Mm. Um, it was much like apparently in the early days when Jeff Bezos was raising money. He was chatting to investors. And one of the big questions he always got asked was, you know, but what's the internet? <laughs> which, <laughs> which is crazy to think now. But yeah. this was in the 90s, 95. And he made a big bet that you know, in the future, people would buy everything on the internet. Mm. And his bet was right. And we sort of started making a similar bet in 20, 2018, but there wasn't this groundswell movement that there is now around, you know, ChatGPT and OpenAI has just cast the spotlight on the power of chat, of AI. It's made it accessible. The man on the street can sign up and start playing with it. And yeah. so now everyone sort of had this awake, this aha moment. I mean, it's terrifying as well because there's all kinds of threats and dangers, and, you know, what about jobs that are lost? But that was sort of the the sort of the driving change in terms of switching across. So we had early success with the chatbot. Mm. We started white labeling to more partners, and then that side of the business took off. And so at the moment, actually, we're going through a rebrand, launching a new a new company, a new brand, because you know if you're building this chatbot AI solution and your name's CompariSure, it doesn't quite <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> quite compute. Yeah. So so we yeah going through that at the moment. Yeah.
0: you know I've you know. Um, I actually wanted to ask you around, you know, this crazy, you know, wave around mm-hmm. ChatGPT, and um, it's been interesting to see the different, you know, um, reactions and like feelings around how dangerous it is, but there's so much more around how powerful it yep. can be yep. to automating things. And when I had the interview with the guys from Naked and you know a very big thing for them was like eliminating you know um call centers for mm-hmm. example because they felt that that was one is really capital intensive sort of thing to, to be able to do as an insurance company to have like this building full of people Definitely. just answering phone calls but also on the other end is like user behaviors were changing and if they really wanted to move people you know interacting with insurance onto just purely technology and like purely mobile and like interacting with the app mm-hmm. they needed to do a lot more on making sure that that experience was so much better. What is the thing that makes you know this chat you know um, function whether it's being plugged into other sort of insurance products or other financial services so much better than the experience of say the traditional experience of I'm calling someone and they're answering my questions and I hope at the end of it I get the right answer and then i try and like either buy the product or change the product that i already
1: have mm-hmm. so i think the consumer has changed as you said a lot mm. you know consumers in the last 10 years there's been this mass adoption of mobile so almost everyone's on the phone mm. and to be frank people are sick and tired of being spam called you know we're the third most spammed country in the world uh, oh no i believe that <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> whether it's sms spam phone spam phone calls you know it's people are just a bit sick and tired and most people if they can do something by themselves from the comfort of their home mm. you know at their own pace whether it's in the evening pick it up tomorrow they prefer that and there was this mismatch of they prefer that but they how do they they don't know how to do it online they're not going to browse websites it's confusing and the magic of chat was that we're, it, you know, having a conversation is what makes us human. It's the most fundamental element of being a human and ability to talk. So if I can have the conversation via chat and I do it when I want, however I want, and if it's well built on the tech side, you know, that's a whole other story and we should get into that. You asked how it works and I think we should mm. go back there. But if it's well built and, and you know, does what it's promised to do, if you end the conversation with a great policy, then people are happy. Yeah. The other element is a sort of human handover. So, chatbots are very good at doing repetitive tasks, mundane tasks, where humans don't actually want to do that job, and you you know it's it's boring and mind numbing. And we had that hybrid model where the chatbot would do you know all the work if the person wanted to buy by themselves, mm. but if they got stuck or if they wanted to ask a human a question, the humans are still there. You know, so it's that hybrid model I think that's also served us quite well. there's nothing worse than getting stuck in a chatbot and the thing says I'm sorry I don't understand or here's (laughs) here's what I found here's a pdf and you're like (laughs) so maybe
0: let's go into how it actually works right because I think you know there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it actually is and how it does work the fear is just in the this thing is doing things that no one knows (laughs) and no one understands so how do you even start to build something like this as well
1: I'll start on our side and then we can maybe move across to OpenAI and ChatGPT but Mm. for us there is a lot of you know fluff around AI I mean there are a lot Mm. of people that claim to be using AI and and we in the early days you know used it very limited in a very limited way by by default you know ChatGPT they've done a great job in that it's open ended and you can ask it about anything Mm. but if you ask ChatGPT to try and sell somebody an insurance policy the thing it would struggle and so, what we did in the same way that a good call center agent, you know, if you do want to buy a product, he doesn't say, you know, Matt, how can I help you buy a funeral cover today? You know, he takes charge, he leads the conversation. He mm-hmm. says, you know, do you have cover? How many kids do you have? You know, what are you currently playing? Let's try to find you a better deal. Here are the steps, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. which can be done with some smart logic, some decision trees, you know, some smart frameworks. So that's how we started. We built it all in house. It was first, uh, Jonathan did the first version, and then we sort of built up a team Mm. of really smart guys and girls to sort of build it out further. So it was very sort of structured, but then we overlaid the intelligence, the AI, the NLP, so natural language processing, where the bot would detect words. Mm. There's a funny story actually, we we did a lot of the work initially through Facebook Messenger. Oh wow! So before you could build on WhatsApp, Messenger was open first, so we built our first bots there back in 2018. And the one day we woke up to being blocked by Facebook, and none of our chats were working, and we thought, oh my word, what's happened here? Eventually we got to the bottom of it and we'd been blocked for bullying. What? Facebook blocked us for bullying. So was and the chats were the chats bullying people? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what we thought. We obviously didn't design the chat to bully people. But the definition per Facebook of bullying was like unwanted repetitive contact of the customer. Ah. And what would happen was someone would say something and then the chat would say, I'm sorry, I can't understand. Try again. And then the person would say, Ah, never mind, leave it. You know, if yes, it's,
0: because South Africans are thinking, you know, why is this person not understanding?
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and, the, and the chatbot would keep politely saying, I'm sorry. And the person would be, eventually they'd get more and more annoyed. Eventually, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so we spent a day training our chatbot to pick up all the South Africans, swear words, slang words, oh, different wow. languages, so that now when someone says something... Like that, no, nah, or footsack, or you know, something a bit more harsh. It realizes and stops the conversation, and <laughs> so there's all these sort of the school fees you pay along the way yeah. uh, to building a great product. That you know, has been an incredible roller coaster the last few years. So
0: speaking about school fees, you know, you've already spoke about just the the shift that you guys are making to rebrand and the opportunity around you know going from a comparison to also having the AI chatbot and. Um, what, other challenge, what other challenges have you guys had in building up this business? And you can compare sort of the early days versus where you guys are now.
1: Challenges, I think one of the most amazing things about being a founder and running your own business is you get to you know, choose who you work with and hire, hire good people. Mm. So that's been an amazing you know, journey in terms of finding the right founding team, you know, there were two of us so Jono launched the business first uh, I joined a little bit later and then we had to sort of build up a management team you know, to really get things going so that's been a challenge you know, people have a lot of opportunity and people come and go and and that finding the right people, the right mix that's been a massive challenge mm. um, you know, you have to compete with guys that can pay more that are more established that are less risky, etc. So you really have to compete in non-monetary ways. You have to build a fun culture. You have to tackle great problems. You have to you know, paint a picture for the future of where things are going. So that, yeah, that people element has been one of the most rewarding challenges, let's put it that way. Because mm. you know, we're very lucky now to have an incredible management team. And it's unbelievably rewarding when you find you know, people that just fit in and complement your existing skills and cover your blind spots. Mm. So that's, that's definitely been one of the big challenges.
0: What do you think, you know, you guys are looking for in people when you try and build out that mix, right? Because Mm -hmm. I I do think that a lot of founders, the thing that hurts them most is not being able to, one, you know, initially build a really great team, um, but then also repeating that mistake as the team grows and not knowing, you know, what the right mix needs Mm -hmm. to be to build the right culture.
1: The the challenge with hiring in the early days is the roles are also very undefined you know you, mm. you're hiring for something that you're trying to figure out you know okay we need to sell more okay we need someone in sales but have we ever sold before or maybe we as founders should sell for a while to understand and so the roles are fluid the roles are changing and so you need to try and land that first to try and understand which way things are going the biggest thing we try and get right is we sort of have a Venn diagram of overlapping requirements. It's one sort of, what does the business need? Mm. Okay, we need someone to start taking over ops. Ops is a problem at the moment. You know, we need someone who's who's going to come in and take over ops. Then you've got the individual who you want to hire, and you look at sort of their skill set and, and their passions. So mm. obviously skills in the workplace, but what are they passionate about? What do they, you know, want to build their career around? And when you find an an alignment, an overlap between what the business needs and what the person's passionate about, then you have this this absolute home run where you hire the person, they do what you're not good at, they Mm. cover your blind spots, and they're doing what they absolutely love. So it's a little bit cliche, but in every interview we try and get that out of the people. You know what? Okay, you're you're a software developer. Where do you see yourself in five, ten years? Mm. What projects do you work on on the weekend? What drives you? What and if we can get that overlap between skills and passion, then then that's where we've historically really had, you know, really great team members who fit into that culture.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that you guys are at around, you know, um, 15 people right now already. Um, do you have fears about what it would look like when it's a lot bigger? Because I think, <laughs> you know, 15 feels still very much intimate, You guys can look each other in the eyes, you can shake hands, and you won't feel overwhelmed or anything like that. And the culture is a lot easier to manage. Um, How do you think about what that might look like at scale?
1: One of the top founder fears, I read an article the other day, was just excessive growth and losing control, Mm -hmm. because we at the moment, exactly as you say, we know everyone by name, you kind of know their story, what's happening in their lives. And you will at some point lose that when you grow. Mm. So it's definitely something to think about. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm afraid of it, but it's definitely a change that one has to be cognizant of and mm. and be okay with. You know, we are getting to a phase. Every you know, with one or two hires, where you know one of our managers hires someone in their team, and you don't interact much. Of course, occasionally. So I think it's just something to be aware of as as it, as the company grows going to be challenging the point around culture is so true mm. you know how do you maintain that culture how do you scale your culture i mean that's very hard when when there's seven of you having beers every friday you know you've got a culture but if it's 70 you can't all have beers at the pub you know every friday yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So scaling culture is that really might, hard that might get expensive <laughs> <laughs> exactly so so i think one of the good pieces of advice someone said to me once was you know as as a growing startup you, you go through these phases where you, you know you're 5 people then you're 20 then you're 100 and the advice was try and find you know companies, mentors people that are sort of one phase ahead of you that mm-hmm. have just gone through all those changes they've gone from 3 to 10 to 20 from 20 to 100 and I found that quite helpful and you know you a lot of challenges in startup are the same like like you say how do you scale culture how do you find talent how do you and whether you're in HR or tech or, you know, food processing, it's all the same. So you can learn a lot from your, from people that have sort of walked the ground before you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how do you, you know, still just keeping with the growth and scale, um, you know, how, how has it been really speaking to financial services companies about this new type of technology that they can integrate into their products and be able to do things a lot more efficiently. Um, how have they received that? And how do you look at what growth looks like over the
1: next five to ten years? Startups and corporates have a very interesting relationship. So as you say, you know, we we were sort of trying to sell our technology to big corporates and they're trying to innovate and they're trying to, you know, get on top of the latest trends. But often you're sort of operating at different velocities. Startups, you know, cash is tight, you've got to move fast, you've got to land deals. Corporates have been around for a long time. And mm. I think our record was two and a half years. From the day we met them, they said, yes, we love your technology, we'd love to you know, implement it. Two and a half years later, we went live. Sure. So, so that's on the one side. But that's why startups exist, why they have the opportunity to exist I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast the other day, a fantastic podcast. He was interviewing Bill Gurley, mm. one of the sort of, you know, Silicon Valley investors involved with Benchmark and Uber. And, you know, the way he phrased it was so fantastic. You know, corporates they'll get a new idea and they'll try it and if it fails, they just go back to what they used to do. Yeah. When you're a startup, if your idea fails, your experiment fails, you have to try something else. If you don't, you have to shut up shop and shut the business down. So if you're a startup, you do your first experiment you do your second you do your third mm. you do your fourth you pivot you do your fifth you do your sixth mm. and so you keep going and but back to your question sort of on on that relationship yes there's a lot of interest um it's always difficult to navigate you know a lot of bigger firms have their own efforts their internal teams that often try and copy what you're doing or learn from you or so but by and large you know we've been very lucky to work with excellent insurance partners And Now we're going on the journey to the second part of your question growth We in our comparison days, you know if you're selling a a Insurance product you're working with the big guys on mutual sums as I said the massive enterprises and now as a technology platform We've got a solution that you as a two-person business, you know can use because Mm. Everyone needs to contact their customers, right? Everyone's struggling to you know engage with customers and so now we're sort of moving down from the massive enterprises, the big corporates, sort of mid-market and eventually to the sort of SMEs. So, you know, whether it's for yeah, contacting customers, scheduling events, mm. coordinating, you know, with your, with your customers, we're going on that journey of, you know, targeting different segments because, you know, there's only a handful of mega-listed JSC companies, but we need to sort of expand down the the... The corporate size, put it that way.
0: Yeah. Do you find it difficult to really explain the value of being able to use this technology to run a business a lot more efficiently and being able to leverage it to take some repetitive tasks and questions and stuff like that off the hands of, you know, another person being employed, you Mm -hmm. know, in the Mm -hmm. business or something like that?
1: What's difficult, I think, about if you say AI and these black boxes, that's very hard to explain. You know, like mm. we've got some PhDs and they trained the AI and it'll do A, B, and C. You know, <laughs> that's very hard to explain. Yeah, what what's very easy to explain is is because of the penetration of WhatsApp, because every one of us uses it every day to communicate with family friends. It's the easiest way. It's the predominant. It's the primary method of communication. Mm. You know, even phoning friends, you sort of WhatsApp them first. Hey, are you free? Can we chat now? So everyone we talk to, everyone we pitch to, is a user of WhatsApp in their personal lives, and so they can immediately see. Oh wow, you know, if I can submit a claim via WhatsApp, that's way more convenient than, you know, calling a centre or going to the branch. Okay, that makes sense. Mm. You know, if I can do ABC, I suppose.
0: yes, sorry. <laughs> My camera just stopped. Hey.
1: <laughs> it has a 29 minute Oh wow, okay. It's okay. Do you
0: remember where you are? Cool. Cool. Sorry about that. Don't
1: worry, I do
0: a lot of editing, unfortunately.
1: I got it, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> do you edit yourself? Um, I use a lot of
0: AI. Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> I Amazing.
0: Please continue.
1: So, the the people we speak to often see the immediate potential implication. You have to be very cognizant of, as you said, staff. Does this mean I'm going to fire people? Does this mean, you know, what exactly does it mean uh, for my team, for my department? You know, sometimes you chat to a department head to use, let's say, the technology. Okay, let's take claims, for example, the claims department. Hey, if you use our technology, your department headcount will shrink by eighty percent and then you won't really have anyone to manage and your importance in the business goes down and so there's a lot of stakeholder management. Gatekeeping is a big theme. You know, guys are protecting what they've got, they're protecting their turf. Mm. So people see the value pretty quickly usually, but getting them to implement and managing the gatekeeping and the corporate interests and the is is not easy. Um so that's also what we hope and what we found is as you move down the scale and deal with more you know, SME style businesses, you're speaking to the owner founder who, who makes decisions, who's in charge, who doesn't mind about the departments. He just wants the best for his business as a whole. Mm. So, you know, reaching the decision maker is, is obviously critical, but it's much easier to do in, in the smaller organizations.
0: Yeah. So, what do you think the future of like um, your business will look like, you know, in the next five to 10 years as you guys make this transition, whether from the AI chatbot side as well as the life insurance comparison as well
1: how long do you have <laughs> 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 there's a few layers to to what we'd like to achieve the the first layer is we're a platform we white label our solutions to you know corporates SMEs etc the simple version is we'd like to get our technology out there in South Africa and abroad more people on the platform um adopting you know our solutions to serve their businesses needs as we sort of step up a level uh, the next sort of goal we'd like to achieve is making those businesses you know bulletproof future-proof able to withstand the changes that are out there you know globally the the ecosystem matters a lot you know we're part of an ecosystem in South Africa you know there's South African startups and South African corporates and sometimes you sort of love hate fighting but in the global world there's this winner takes all and we've seen that you know I mean with Facebook and the likes and Google and you know in the old days you used to spend your marketing rands on South African companies and the mm. money would stay in the South African circle now and it kills me when we pay Facebook invoices you send the money to Ireland and it's gone mm. out of the South African ecosystem so the so to the future of our company it's obviously getting the technology out there but what we'd like to then do is allow people to build on our platform. So you're not an employee necessarily, but you've got access to the code, the APIs, the, you know, all the power, the engine, the, the algorithms, the intelligence. And if you're an entrepreneur and you want to build a product for hair salons in South Africa that allows them to schedule bookings and their customers can you know, do that via WhatsApp, mm. you know, in the old days you would have thought, ah, we should build an app for that. But the age of apps is dead. People don't download as many as they used to. Mm. Everyone's already got WhatsApp installed. Imagine you could build all of that in WhatsApp, and you can. So we want the platform to evolve to where, you know, South Africans, people at large, you know, budding entrepreneurs can then build on the platform and solve our challenges that the country's facing yeah. So that's the lofty goal, you know, future-proofing the economy, the society, South Africans, you know, creating employment. Yeah. But uh, in the short run, we need to, you know, just land the clients, build the build the business from the ground up.
0: Yeah. So how do you guys then outmaneuver, you know, other players, whether it's international or, you know, domestic? You know, when you see something like ChatGBT come out, obviously there's going to be a lot of players that start to go, oh wow, this is very mm-hmm. interesting. We actually want to go into that space how do you guys then think about you know being you know the best in the game
1: the market is very big but speed matters so you know almost every business could use some form of chat to engage with customers staff etc so it's a massive market and there's room for many players mm. but we need to move quickly in terms of international competition what we offer is a very much sort of a localization angle we hear we're building the product for you know the challenges that we see locally mm. and so that that's quite important. Um, we're not a DIY platform. There are those international platforms where you sort of sign up in your dev team build things. And um, we, we really try and tailor our products to the businesses we see here and, and the companies and the needs that they have locally. And some of those needs are also global. You know, if you take certain industries, real estate we're working on a great product for real estate agents. Mm. and We're seeing some good early signs in South Africa. And it should be exportable globally. So, I mean, there's no silver bullet answer. You need to move quickly, you need to be deliberate, you need to you know, be smart about what you build and don't build. Mm. But those are just some of the ways we're thinking about the problem.
0: Yeah. So, finally. <laughs> <laughs> um, What is one thing that you would teach yourself if you had to go back to the beginning of your journey? Something that you know now and through the experiences that you had and the multiple challenges and the pivots and
1: the figuring it out. Um, That's a a great question. I have to think for a second. Um, I think one of the things, you know, you you have to pay the school fees. And in London, you know, when you're working every day till midnight, you know, there's no shortcut to success. You need to work hard. You need mm. to put in the hours. You need to become an expert in your field. You need to you know, do all of those things. Something that's been interesting to, develop, to see as, as we've sort of gotten more mature in our careers is, you know, it's again a quote from Jeff Bezos. You know, he, what he wants from his managers and leadership is just three good decisions a day. You know, make three well-informed decisions, then you've added value, then you've done a good job. Mm. and I think that's been just a personal journey interesting you know there were there was a time when yes we worked all weekend we worked Sundays we had to do the groundwork and um, but it's been interesting to transition to more of a thinking role more of a strategic role more of a mentoring role to the junior staff Um, so maybe that's something yeah to to be cognizant of uh, for as as a as a young as a young South African trying to build your career or as a young employee trying to find your feet in the world know there's no shortcuts you need to put in the hours but know that over time if you do that well you'll sort of you know progress through and then hopefully you can sort of mature to a level where you are you know doing the things you love more of and are good at and you find that intersection where that adds value to the business maybe that's just a piece of advice to to all the youngsters out there you know it's not going to happen overnight As they say, it takes ten years to build an overnight success. Um, So that's yeah, I think that's perhaps a reflection that I've been sort of processing lately. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure.
0: To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.